And so I think as far as like cultivating your network as a whole, just be authentic and comfortable with the outreach and the frequency, right? Because you, you have an initial meeting, you may want to follow up a few weeks or a few months later and just like check in periodically. And so just know that there's a lot of ways that you can stay on people's radars. And it could be as simple as just interacting on social media. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever time you're listening in. Welcome to another episode of Modern Business Operations. I'm your host, Brianna Autry, and today I'm joined by the amazing Asha Arovindakshan. She's the Vice President of Operations at Sprinkler and best-selling author of Skills, the Common Denominator. How's it going, Asha? It's going great, Brianna. Thank you for having me here today. Yeah, thrilled to have you. I'm I'm so excited to talk about your book, your background, etc. For those who are listening in live, just know that you have the option to ask Asha questions throughout this chat today. Just put them in the chat box and we'll answer them as they come in. If you're just here to listen passively, that's totally fine too. We're here to make you enjoy the next 30 minutes. So with that, Asha, I just want to kind of ask you to share a little bit about your background. How did you get to where you are now and lessons learned along the way? Oh, my gosh. What a large question, Brianna. Kind of at the high level, I've worked in operational roles in the public, private and nonprofit sectors for the last 20 years. And, you know, with the ultimate goal of being a COO of a tech company one day. And the way that I kind of describe the different roles and the work that I've done is the first 10 years were focused on account management, event management, and project management. All of those have a strong layer of customer service in them. And that's something that I carried throughout my career. And the second decade, I was able to take deep dives into financial operations, HR operations, more IT operations, and even marketing operations. And so really having that well-rounded portfolio, I think will serve me well as I progress in my career towards that COO role. Awesome. Yeah, really excited to have your your experience here. So I want to talk about your book. You've written a bestseller as your first-time author, so congratulations. But I'm very curious about what inspired you to write the book in the first place, because it's a huge undertaking. So... It is. And so, you know, at the start of the pandemic two and a half years ago, we saw in the headlines like 20% of the population lost their jobs because companies were restructuring or completely shutting down. And I just knew that I wanted to help. And I knew that I could help by sharing the stories of people like me who made dramatic career pivots from industry to industry, sector to sector. And so I started interviewing people in my networks. And this is, you know, going back now to early 2021. And as I'm starting to talk to them about their career pivots, and they had an average of six career pivots each, I started to hear just common themes around skills over and over again. And this included hard skills, soft skills, life skills, job skills, but all together, I called them collectively transferable skills. And in case anyone listening is not familiar with transferable skills, you know, I define them as competencies that we develop at work or school or in volunteer activities. And then we use them in another context, like a future job or future educational opportunity. And so my whole, you know, premise of the book is when you're looking to make a career switch, leverage your transferable skills to demonstrate that you have the abilities to take on a new role. And we can talk, you know, about examples that I have in there. And just know that when I, by the time I published the book a year ago, this is now September of 2021, the great resignation started. 
and we started seeing 3% of the workforce voluntarily leave their jobs every month from September 2021 through June of this year. And so while the environment has shifted with employees, you know, I think employees are now in the driver's seat. People are more interested more than ever in roles that suit their interests and their strengths. And I think that helps skills stay on the bestseller list and people continue to be excited by the content. Yeah. And I'm just so excited about this book. I discovered it through researching you as a guest for this podcast. And now I'm just, I'm so thrilled to have it in my arsenal. So I want to talk about these transferable skills. So what process should someone follow to identify their transferable skills? And how do you sort of know which ones are the most valued in the workforce? Great question. And, you know, let's start with all skills are valued. I find a lot of people undervalue their skills. And so just know that you're going to find that value in different skills at different times in your career. And it's just really about finding that alignment between the skills that you have and the skills that people need or want to have in whatever project they're looking at in their day to day. And we can help more people identify their skills, you know, through today's conversation. And I'm hoping that people will come away with that insight. And so, you know, folks really need to be able to identify their transferable skills and articulate them through their resume, their LinkedIn profile, interviews, networking, even conversations at work with their managers. And, you know, one a simple way that I have in the book to identify your skills is ask people around you. Talk to people in your network that you're comfortable asking these questions to. Share with them what you do. Share with them the skills that you have and ask them how those skills fit into their organizations. And what you'll start to find are responses that'll shock you. It may open your mind to roles that you never considered, and it may open your mind to job titles you never considered, because they may call that skill set something different in their organizations. I did this myself about 10 years ago, and I was going through a job search, and I was really surprised how people reinterpreted my skills into the context of what they knew and in their organizations. And so just know that having that open mind about your skills and the possibility of working in different industries and functional areas will just open the world of possibilities up for you. And it's really, really exciting. The book also serves as a way to help people understand and identify their skills through the real life stories that are shared in there. There's 25 career pivoters. They've made dramatic pivots. And I think you'll really find yourselves in more than one story. That's such a good tactful way for people to approach this process. And I, you know, I think that everyone could benefit, even if you're happy in your role from kind of discovering that, like there are so many roles out there. When I was in college, for instance, I didn't ever think that I would be running a business operations community, right? I was a history major. I wish that I had had access to a network where I could have learned what skills I had and how they were transferable. So I love that. And I think it really applies to operations folks in particular because there are so many new operations roles and there are so many niche operations roles. And it can seem like a very large and nebulous field. But once you kind of narrow it down, you can really get specific with it. It's so exciting. Like one of the things coming up in my career, there were not that many operations roles advertised. So it's super exciting to see more roles advertised and people can actually like, yeah, I meet these qualifications or I don't, but no, like an operations role is kind of amorphous and that you can really work with a hiring manager to shape it based on the skills that you're bringing to the table. A hundred percent. And if you're on the go to market team, there are just so many niche areas as well to kind of get involved. And then, you know, if you're back of house, et cetera, 
there's just so many options out there and you can jump around. It's kind of one of the most transferable roles, actually, if you want to jump from team to team. You can kind of be on any team you want if you're if you're an ops. Exactly. Yeah. Another thing you talk about in the book, which I found interesting, was building your personal brand. And the first thing I thought of when I was reading about that is just there's so much like BS out there about building a personal brand. Um, but you seem to have done that in a really authentic way. So how can others sort of emulate that? First off, like there's no right or wrong way to build a personal brand. You have to find the way that's authentic to who you are. And it may take listening to me, listening to some other folks and pulling bits and pieces together to like represent yourself in an authentic way in the places you want to be represented. Personally, it took me a little bit to get comfortable talking about myself. I was used to like doing the work and having somebody else take ownership for it, right? I think a lot of operators are like that. We're used to being in the background, but I had to learn like, no, I can actually like say I contributed to this work. I contributed to the success of the organization and find achievements that or places that, that recognize the achievements also. And so being able to talk about it and a succinct way to do that is through an elevator pitch. And I think in an elevator pitch, you know, people, they have different opinions of that. I'm for it because I think it's a really easy way for you to be able to explain who you are and where you want to go. You just got to be really specific in what you're looking for so that the other person can react and you can create a dialogue and you build a relationship from that. And then when time comes, whether they're asking you for help with something or you're asking them for help, you can do that. I actually used to go 10 years ago to career fairs and I would just walk up to different tables of recruiters and practice my elevator pitch on them. That's how I became comfortable with my elevator pitch and they would give real time feedback. And so that's like a really simple way where you can do that, whether it's online in a chat setting or in person to get real time feedback and fine tune what you're saying. And there's like low risk in doing something like that. And then over time, you'll start to get attuned to identifying like and articulating your skills and also what's next for you. And then when you have that all together, right, you've got the skills, you know where you're going with them and you're trying to find people to help you facilitate that change, you'll start to represent your personal brand in conversations, on social media and wherever else your brand may be represented. And just know that your brand changes over time and you can rebrand. I love that. Did you ask them, did you say like, I want to give my elevator pitch? Uh, Will you give me feedback or did you just do it and they gave you feedback naturally? Naturally, right? Like, hey, you know, because you Uh, walk up to the table, they're expecting you to like pitch them for a role. What do you have? And I'm like, hey, let me tell you a little about myself and then let's see if there's if there's anything there. But the recruiter is, you know, they're a great person to give feedback to you. And so there's no um, precedent or premise there of like, I should I tell them what I'm saying? No, just introduce yourself. Yeah, I love that. That's a good exercise. And it's also a good exercise in like working that that networking muscle that so many of us have sort of yes. not been working as much during the pandemic. Exactly. So, so at the career fair, they want you to come to them. Right. They don't yeah. know that you're looking for a job. You have to tell them. Right. I love that. So I want to talk about some of the tools in someone's toolkit when they're trying to sort of progress their career. So everyone's on LinkedIn, obviously. Everyone knows about the major job sites, but what are some of your tips for leveraging those digital tools to their fullest potential? I always say LinkedIn is the single most powerful tool to represent your personal brand. And I like to think of it as a digital portfolio. You can not only have the content that appears like on your resume, like education and work experience, volunteer activities, but like you can take advantage of rich media 
to show like here are projects that I worked on or here's an ex- a time that I spoke um, at an event or in a podcast. And so you can showcase yourself in a really robust way on LinkedIn. And that helps people who stumble upon your profile to learn a little bit more about you and your personality before they engage with you, whether through messaging or through an invitation to an interview. And so in my book, I actually dedicated a whole chapter to creating an all-star LinkedIn profile with examples from myself and others. And I also cover other digital tools in that chapter. Are One's called JobScan, and that helps people you know, who are struggling to get interviews. It's probably because their resume doesn't have the keywords from the job descriptions. And so JobScan is a really good tool for identifying, here are the keywords on a job description, and let me add them to my resume. And I'm just going to give a really quick example here of when I just tested it out. There was a role where the title was called VP slash Chief of Staff. I am a vice president in my current role. The words vice president appear on my resume, and so do the words chief of staff because it's a role that I've held previously. When I went to test my resume against that job description and job scan, I only hit a 50% match on the title because VP did not match vice president. And so I think it's super simple, but we take for granted what the computers can do and cannot do. So I think it's a yeah. really powerful tool in helping people to understand that. And I hope that example really opens people's eyes to like, oh, wait a second, maybe I should spell out acronyms and have them both ways in there or use more common terms yeah. you know, that are in the job descriptions. There's another tool I cover called placement. And placement really is like a, a job tracker. So if you're really bad at like applying to jobs and keeping track of what, which ones you applied to, maybe you applied to the same one twice. Placement's good for helping people keep organized when they applied, where they applied, the link to the application, place to keep notes. But they also have a whole side of their portal that matches you to a career coach if you decide that you need that. And the person that I interviewed who happened to use that tool had not done a job search for like 10 to 15 years. And so he thought, I don't need a coach at first. You know, I'm good. I'll just like polish off my resume and start applying. Started getting interviews, but wasn't getting the actual job. And so he's like, well, let me get a career coach. And the career coach is like, oh no, we got to update your resume. (laughs) Number one. Right. You know, you've all this experience, but we got to trim it down to a couple of pages. We got to start putting keywords in there, all that type of stuff. And so it really changed his mindset. And he really feels like that helped him secure the job that he's in now. And again, like all these tools that I have in there are backed up with real life examples of people who use them and used to change jobs in the last two years. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at Tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Adaptive Ops community at operations.community. That's so valuable. And even, I mean, just job scanning in itself, like that story is, it really hits home, I think, for a lot of people, because I think everyone's been in the position where they're cold applying and they're just like, why am I getting rejected at every turn? Like, I'm totally qualified for that role. So it's not a human that's rejecting you, right? It's an algorithm. And so if people remember that, you can just optimize for it. It's like any sort of social media site, right? You got to optimize for the algorithm. And so it's very similar. That's right. I love that. That's so valuable. So I touched on this earlier, but I want to talk about networking. It's sort Mm -hmm. of difficult to cultivate a network in the post-pandemic era of working from home. So do you have any tips for how people can cultivate and sort of leverage their network for career growth? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, this question is exactly why I have a whole chapter dedicated to networking techniques in my book. And I think based on my conversations, I started to realize the patterns. And if if you want to change your industry, role, or organization, you might need to rely on a second or third degree connection to actually make that happen. And so you're better off building a stronger first degree network that also has a strong second degree network and that you can lean on when you need to. So when you need a referral or introduction to a company of interest and skills based networking can help open that door. And so I think as far as like cultivating your network as a whole, just be authentic and comfortable with the outreach and the frequency, right? Because you, you have an initial meeting. You may want to follow up a few weeks or a few months later and just like check in periodically. And so just know that there's a lot of ways that you can stay on people's radars. And it could be as simple as just interacting on social media. Again, do what's comfortable for you. But there are tons of ways to grow your network, even living in a, in a hybrid work environment and, and attending events, both virtual and in person. Yeah, I think that that's super helpful. And I'm just curious, how many hours a week would you say someone should dedicate to their network? Because I think it's one of those things where you don't think about it until you need it. Um, oh, if you're like 100%. most people. Yeah. yeah I so mean, how do you I kind think, of keep that going? Again, do what's authentic. So some people, you know, maybe as, as fine as like I'm on LinkedIn a, a once a day or once, you know, even once a week, but you're interacting and engaging with posts. I do have one of the techniques in the book is around LinkedIn. And this I learned from a gentleman named Al Tepper, five, four, three, two, one, you know, spend five minutes engage with four people, three likes, two comments, one share, something like that. You know, I probably got the, the order wrong, but you get the sense, right? Like you could just take five minutes and, and do a lot of engagement and interactions with someone. And then later when you need to reach out to them, they're like, oh yeah, that person has been interacting with me for a while on my LinkedIn. Like I'll, I'll take a conversation. And so there's that too. Like I probably check LinkedIn more than my email these days. And so I'm on there constantly. So you're going to have like a, you know, a wide range of people as far as like how they're using tools. Are there maybe people who use Twitter or Instagram or TikTok more frequently? And so just understanding like what's your capacity to just like be there and surf it or be there and engage. And to engage, again, you can start easily by liking or retweeting something to writing full comments and having a dialogue on those platforms. So you have to really just pace yourself and not overdo it because it can get exhausting quickly. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's smart to kind of start with one platform and then move on if you are interested. But like, yeah, starting with LinkedIn, making that a thing that you do normally, it's addicting. I think anyone who doesn't do that, like they'll want to do it eventually, right? The more engagement you have on the platform, the more the algorithm rewards you, right? You show up higher in search results, you're all that type of stuff. So just know that it is this like, self-fulfilling prophecy of how much time you want to invest and what you're trying to get out of it at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you just get rewarded for engaging is is awesome and incentivizing. So I'm going to keep chatting with Ashi here, but if any of our live audience has questions, now would be the time to start jotting them down in the chat. She's here to answer any and all questions that you have. I do want to ask like a more general question. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your career overall? Or if you have more than one, that's fine too. Oh my gosh, that is such a big question. So one thing I want to talk about is the career changes I've had. I mentioned early on this top of the hour that I've worked in the public sector, the nonprofit sector, and the private sector. One thing I didn't mention is all those changes were facilitated by referrals 
in my network, whether it's people I had worked with before or someone that referred me to somebody else in their network. And so one thing that I learned as a lesson is, you know, trust is key. And so trust, they're looking at me as someone who can come in and get the work done when I may not have the subject matter expertise, but I know how to work with people and, and build relationships and collaborate to simplify what needs to, what needs to be, you know, probably it was a complex problem before. I'm also trusting that the person bringing me into the organization is going to provide me with air cover when needed and that, you know, it's a stable organization and that I do have something that I can contribute to their project or to their program. And so I think that trust is a two-way street and it's a critical factor when you're considering a career switch, especially into a new industry or a functional area. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think we'll all take that away. Referrals, 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 right? I think it's like if you apply for a job with a referral versus without a referral, the differences are insane. And I think a lot of people would be surprised too how many people are willing to refer you because, it, you know, if your yes. resume is solid and, you know, most people get incentivized by in their company internally to refer you. So they'll make money if you get the job a lot of the time, right? Absolutely. And, um, you know, there's two approaches to referrals. Um, I profiled a friend of mine, Patrick, in the book. When he was looking for a job, he knew a specific role that he wanted. So he looked in his network to find people that held that role in other tech companies. He chatted with them about how they liked the role. You know, was it what he thought it was? Did they like the company? And then when he felt like comfortable, like, okay, they understand, like, I bring the same skills to the table. He would ask for a referral in that conversation. Yep. A different example where, you know, I was applying to roles in the past where I didn't have a referral into the company and it took me a little longer to find someone. So I submitted my resume into the system and then, you know, eventually found someone who worked at that company that I could reach out to. And I mm. kind of took the pressure off of them by saying like, Hey, I've already yeah. applied. I just want to talk to you about the company and your role. And then after we start talking and they realize like, oh, you actually would be a really good fit here, like culturally and with the skills that you have and all this type of thing, then I could say like, hey, do you mind like pinging HR and like adding me as like one of your referrals? And they're like, yes, because to your point, Brianna, they make money off the referral. So HR is happy to add that employee to your application. So don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many people will say yes. Um, we have a question here from KT. How can the over 40 crowd stay relevant in their job searches and then the tech industry? Great question. It is a great question. And, you know, it's something, you know, we all, especially if we're applying in tech, may feel like age discrimination is out there. It is. I'll be honest about it. Like I've definitely faced it myself when I was trying to break into startups. And I think the best way to stay relevant in your job search is by keeping your network warm. Because especially at our level as a mid-career executive or senior executive, you might have a role created for you. And that's not uncommon. And so by keeping your network warm, reaching out to people you know that are in companies that you really respect and admire and asking for those introductions, then people are like, oh, wait a second, KT's on the market. I have a role that I'm going to create and like that they're going to want that role. And so, you know, that's, I think, the best way to do it, especially as you approach mid-career. Awesome answer. Katie agrees. Awesome answer. Thanks. Okay. I don't see any more questions coming in through the chat. If anyone has any final ones, please feel free to throw them in. We've got a couple minutes here. What's the best way for people to get in touch? Do you have a feeling that a lot of people are going to want to get into this? Oh, I hope so. And I you know folks can find me online on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at DC Asha. And if you want to look for my book online, it's on Amazon Skills, the Common Denominator. 
Awesome. Okay, we have another question here from Nigel. I'm transitioning from teaching math and computer science into data science. I know all my transferable skills from teaching will help me make progress, but how much will they help me get to my first break? Oh, Nigel, I'm so excited for you, and I hope that you give us an update once you've made this transition. So one one of the, the hardest things for data scientists to do is communicate. <laughs> Literally, one of those books on my shelf over there is about communicating with data because it is such a hard skill to do. So I think your teaching skills will be really valuable to you in the role of data science as long as you know how to analyze and present that data in the right way. And, there, you know, there are tons of certificates out there and online courses to help you upskill in the data science that hard skill, I don't have any worry of you picking up, especially given what you've been teaching, you know, quant for the last several years. And then your soft skills of teaching and communicating will come out naturally as you're presenting the data and in interviews. And I think that the combination is really, really strong. I would lead with it. Like I'm a, I'm a teacher looking to go into data science. Does anybody have any roles? And I think you'd be shocked how many people will respond like, yes, please come work for my company. Nigel, I too am very excited for you. And um, Asha's response just makes you even more excited and even think about the fact that you have the skills to present data that most data scientists do not have. We have another question here from Vincent. I've been part of five acquisitions or reality in tech. How do people address the fact that most job movements have been the result of acquisition? Vincent, this is a great one. And I actually do cover this scenario in my book. So number one, make sure on LinkedIn, when you have the experience that the company that your your experience is linked to is the company of the acquired company. Does that make sense? So if you start with company A and the company A gets acquired, usually they'll, you know, take over all those social pages and update it for company B. Then you become part of company B's network, right? And then in your actual experience box, you can write joined company A that was acquired by company B. You can even link to a press release about that in the media part of that experience section, just so that people understand like that's how you ended up at company B. Okay. And then you can either there in your experience section or in your interviews, talk about what it was like to integrate company A to company B, right? Even if you weren't part of that major, you know, the, the, the integration team, but everyone plays a role in that. And so you can talk about what it was like to like bring your team along with that integration or adopt the new ways of that company and things like that. And that just shows that you're able to adapt to change. You're able to collaborate and your probably communication is really important in an integration of an acquisition. So I think there are tons of skills that you have that you're, you're learning as you're going through these and to go through five, like, I mean, you're a pro at it. So definitely don't try to dress it down, play it up and talk about how it's an important skill and valuable skill, especially as M&A is like happening so much right now. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and Vincent, what's so cool about what you've been through is that so many companies want to hire someone who has been through that process when they're about to go through it. Mm-hmm. You can get a great package at a series like DEF startup who's about to be acquired because most people at that startup have never been through that process. So you know what scale looks like. So it's like a huge skill set that's super transferable. Okay. I think we're running out of time and I don't see any questions popping in, but I loved, loved, loved seeing all these questions from our live audience. Asha, you're one of our more popular podcast guests. So really excited to have you on the show. And thank you for everyone who listened in and buy Asha's book. It's awesome. I loved it. And I recommend it to anyone who's listening in. Thank you for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks guys. All right. Someone from the live audience said, just bought the book. Boom. Got it. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkin.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 